What's going on, everyone? This is Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com, back with another episode of the North American Weed Tour podcast today, joined by special guest Jason Deland of Dosis. How are you doing today, Jason? Doing good to be here. Awesome, man. Yeah, appreciate your time joining us, hopping on from the East East Coast, talk a little bit about cannabis all over the map. But, you know, I kick off every episode with the with the same question for all my guests, and that's kind of their origin story, their start, their journey with the plant, the plant being cannabis. Um, that's kind of the theme of the industry that we're all working in. So I'm just kind of curious when when you and cannabis started your relationship, whether that's personal, professional, or, or whatever you, you know, so choose to share. Oh, man. My, my relationship with cannabis started at a very, very, very early age. Uh, my father owned a roofing crew, and I was a, it was a form of indentured servitude for me, so a residential roofing contractor in upstate New York. And um, the crew on that, um, on the outfit, the crew in the outfit, I was actually talking to the guy, um, the foreman this morning. I was driving into the city, and, and, I, and I called him up because he's a very good friend of mine. His name's Randy Maris. He's in his 70s now. And Randy and the team, they used to just, they just smoke weed all the time on, on the roof. And you know, when I, as I, I thought it was bad, like as a kid, I'm like, oh no, you know, like say no to drugs. Like that's bad. These, these guys are like roughnecks and, and all that. And, you know, now I have a different relationship with it, obviously. But then, you know, I, as I got a little bit older, you know, I would ask them, I'm like, why are you doing this? And they're like, it's, it's how we, how we get through the day of a very monotonous job, but it's how we deal with pain. Mm. And, and so that was my very first indoctrination into it. Second came in high school, obviously, I think were most people, but I was an athlete. So yeah, I was a little, I was probably a little like, um, I wasn't anti-cannabis, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have an opinion on it, to be honest. Other than that's where I was used to it. And then from my, from the crew and then professionally, what happened is I was a jet lagged executive in 2009 say 13, 14. And when I mean jet lag, I mean, going back and forth to China and Europe and, and, and running all that. And I had just always like always issues with sleep. And so a friend of mine uh, handed me a very rudimentary vaporization device and said, Hey man, try this. And I was like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll try anything to fall asleep. And I, I recall two things happened. One, I fell asleep. Uh, one, I got high and two, um, I fell asleep. And so right after that is really my, my, my formal, you know, indoctrination into the world of cannabis, which would have taken place in 2018. And I was just hell bent on understanding why this plant um, had anything to do with helping me get a peaceful, restful, and just quote unquote, fucking awesome night sleep. <laughs> um, and I wanted to understand why it happened. I wanted to understand how it happened. I wanted to understand if it could be repeated. Um, and, and I, and from that point forward, I saw cannabis as an incredible tool, um, to help people, particularly in, in the realm of health and wellness. And, and that was really the origin story of my, um, foray into cannabis and, in 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 and, and doses. And what was that point of, 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 you know, starting doses, obviously like having that personal connection of. You know, getting that sleep and, and starting to understand that plant like is moving into that yeah. stage of your life. But what all were the components of being like, I'm going to change from this industry that I'm in and, and start going, you know, kind of all in on cannabis? What, what, what were the, all of the components that kind of led to that? Well, it was 
first of all, I felt like it could really help people. I mean, you get to a certain point in your life and not that I'm wealthy um, like some people, but get to a certain point in your life where you, you stop you stop thinking about achievement and you start thinking about how can I help other people and, and how can you help create an innovation designed to help other people and feel really good about what you're doing. Um, so there's that. I think, I think there are many, many people in the world of Canada who approach it that way, you know, like whether it's from justice point of view and whether it's from, you know, a genetics point of view and, and what can I bring to the world that people are really going to, really going to like um, to, to health and wellness. And, and I just saw, Health and wellness is like a really important, you know, component of, of um, you know, of, of cannabis. As it, you know, when you look at the human need states of cannabis, pain and sleep are, are right up there at the top. And, you know, the world of, <clears throat> you know, the big world of, of pharma doesn't really have much to offer us as it relates to pain and sleep that you could take for any length of time. Mm -hmm. um, and most are highly addictive and have a lot of health outcomes. So, I mean, obviously the epidemic, um, you know, to me, cannabis is a direct solution to that problem. Now, if my arm has been, you know, mangled in a car accident, cannabis isn't going to help me in an acute situation. But long-term, in terms of the recovery, absolutely can and, and does. So uh, I just feel like that that's where, I, that's where I approach it from. Like, what can we build? What can we create to help people? Um, and that was very important. It was, if it helped me, then I felt like it could help others. And if it could help others, then wouldn't that be great? And I always said, you know, I've said to everybody, you know, what's a good night of sleep worth to someone? And mm -hmm. to someone who struggles sleeping, a good night of sleep is worth a lot. Um, and mm -hmm. I've had people, I've had, this has happened many times. I've had people break down in front of me saying, literally doses has saved my life. Mm -hmm. um, and so I take great, great uh, amount of, uh, I take that seriously. Um, it's a, it's awesome, uh, to, to, to hear. And it's a, just representative of the hard work that's gone into creating something as different and difficult as doses is. And obviously it's in the name, you know, and it's, it's, I think a value proposition you guys is like doing, you know, controlled doses. Right. And that's one of the things with, with the vaporizer, as opposed to, you know, flower that you can have a little bit more of that understanding and control and even be able to label what what is a dose, right? If we're breaking down flower, whether you're rolling a joint, a blunt, a bong, what's the size of the bong? What's the size of the hay? There's a, quite a bit of different variables that go in there that make it hard, hard to dose. So what what kind of was the thought process and went into, you know, the, the creation of, of the those original products of like keeping that in mind? Because I definitely understand, again, it's in the name, but I think it's very much in your guys's brand and the messaging that it's a wellness yeah. brand. To me, it doesn't necessarily look like that, right? It looks like a more traditional CPG. When you think in cannabis and yeah. wellness, sometimes you think of like, for a lack of, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. You think very granola-y, you know, very yes. hearty is kind of where a lot of wellness gets yes. pigeonholed. And yep. you guys are much more of like a complete, com clean, complete looking CPG product, right? That just fit on the shelf. It happens to come from this positioning and this this um, intention of being in that wellness space. But I'm just kind of curious of, of that product innovation of like, creating like what does a dose look like and how do we measure this and how do we communicate that to the consumer yeah. kind of what what went into that process oh, a, a ton went into it i mean the 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 reality is all functional all all functional uh, medicine um or all fun or foods or anything sugar caffeine nicotine vitamins 
or, or pharmacological, you know, agents, they're all dose dependent. Everything's dose dependent. But the human body, you know, um, I don't care whether you're taking vitamin C or you're taking, you know, a prescription drug, it's dose dependent. Cannabis is no different. It's all coffee. If I have 30 of these, I'm going to have a, a, a really difficult time um, because that caffeine is going to disrupt some of my uh, receptors in my body to make me feel tired and I won't sleep for two days. Right. So, but if I, you know, in the morning, if I don't have, I don't feel very good, all dose dependent. Cannabis is dose dependent, but cannabis is dose dependent in a very different way. The endocannabinoid system has a parabolic tolerance, parabolic, meaning the tolerance to THC and the under and the other cannabinoids, um, whether it's CB1 or C2, um, just continues to go up and up and up and up and up. And the problem with that is THC in particular is a very powerful neurotransmitter, right? And I'm not 100% certain that uh, dosing large amounts of THC over a long period of time is benign to our central nervous system, particularly our, our neurobiology. Um, my, my guess, understanding both the biology and the chemistry of it, not at a PhD level, but at a pretty functional level, um, is it's not going to be good. How bad it is, I just don't know. Hmm. Right? It might be relatively fine and better than the alternatives. Um, but when I think about the role of dosis in someone's life, the role of dosis was not to get people high. The role of dosis as it originally started was to help people leave anxiety, to help people fall asleep, help people feel euphoric before they were functionally intoxicated. So offering a real therapeutic benefit. Now that might seem like, I think that is actually really nice. I mean, you've, you've probably experienced yourself like a long sustained sessionable buzz, if you will, from cannabis is actually a really cool thing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and there's a time and a place for it where it just makes life flat out better. That's what I wanted. Uh, that's what we wanted at Dosis to, 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 to bring as an innovation. So when we started the company, we were looking at ways to do that. Edible-based cannabis is very difficult to do uh, that with because of the metabolism through the liver. Um, and when you burn it or combust it in a joint um, or, you know, a bowl or whatever, <laughs> an awesome, you know, even a, even a vaporization device like the Volcano, which I think is, is pretty awesome, um, it's very, very challenging to control the dose. And so if you can't control the dose, it really doesn't work. And, and the way to ingest cannabis, at least from a functional point of view, is through the lungs because the tissue between um, the, the, the blood uh, the, 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 the blood sort of, um, uh, how should I say this? The, the tissue in the lungs is one cell deep, right? So mm -hmm. things get absorbed extraordinarily well. Um, there's a lot of fidelity there. So that's what we were, that's what we were looking to do. And because we knew that we wanted a very precise dose, we tested all sorts of doses. Um, and it turned out that of our formulation, the beginning, a 2.25 milligram dose was sort of the Goldilocks zone for most people to help mm. them fall asleep, to help relieve anxiety, to help them feel a little buzz, um, you know, with bliss or something like that. And then, at, but that was distillate and terpenoid and, and terpene based as the world has evolved. And we've gotten these amazing innovations in the world of cannabis. 
um, you know, and, and how they're and, and how they're made. Um, you know, obviously that's changed a little bit, but to do live resin or rosin well, the same principles exist um, in vaporization to do dose control well, right? Controlled heat ramp, very controlled heat ramp. Um, you know, uh, being able to ensure that you know the underlying oil isn't getting burned. Um, you know, not center vent tube. You know, all those sorts of things are you know be very important. Being able to thermal regulate the experience. And and when it came to just like the you know the R and D of understanding that dose, what did it look like? Did you guys set it to where you know devices released more or less, and kind of just took yes. notes in terms of different different control <laughs> subjects or? Yes, and we tested it with consumers or with people. So we went, you know, I think there was a, you know, people who were suffering from chronic pain, insomnia. I think we went to a group of senior citizens. Um, we tested this with hundreds of different people, different, but it was it was it was a permutation, right? So different formulations with different combinations of THC and CBD and, and accessory cannabinoids with different combinations of terps, right? So you were doing that and. You are also, so you do that at one milligram, two milligram, three milligram, five milligram, that's set A. And then you would do over here a different formulation with the same, with the same dosage um, requirements. So, and then you had to rely on the fact that people said they were only doing one or three a night, you know, whatever it might be. And then you had to actually gauge those results. And we had a thing where we would only allow a formulation to go through if it scored um, it worked beyond my expectations or met my expectations 80% or more of the time because the endocannabinoid system is like a fingerprint. Everyone has a different mm -hmm. ECS and some people, you know, it's, but, but what we were trying to find, we were trying to find that bell curve that was to at least 80% of people, they found relief or, you know, it did what they expected it to do. And what was the, you know, when you guys first started, right? Because I think you said, you know, your, your first experience with the vaporizer said was 2013 around there. Yeah. And, yeah, and, so and so obviously the technology, the devices, the heating mechanisms have evolved pretty greatly from those days. But when you first started out and started down this, this path of creating this product, what were some of those challenges in terms of like where the tech was at that at that point? Obviously, it's evolved. Well, there, there was no dose controlled vaporization device in 2013. Right. Right. And and so we had to make our own. Um, and and, uh, you know, without, without getting far into it, because it gets pretty geeky pretty quickly. You know, the that R&D process was intense to be able to figure out how to do that. And then, you know, the other part about it is and. I'm sure some of your audience will challenge this. You know, we also had extraordinarily high requirements as it related to um, residual solvents, pesticides, uh, mold, and fungus within the within our oils, right? So our standards were zero, none, no parts per million or billion. And and in California, when we launched in 2015 or 14, that was ex that was that was unheard of, mm -hmm. right? To get distillate. Um, product that was 100% clean. And the reality is the first time that we ran our products, it wasn't 100% clean. And I remember being on a call with, with everybody looking at it and everyone was like, well, this passes the action standards set by the, you know, the regulatory environment. And I, I thinking, I don't give a flying fuck that it passed the requirements where this is a health and wellness related product. It has to have, it, it can cause zero harm. 
And so the exact same thing happened to us when, when we underwent the vaporization crisis. The first, I knew what was going into our device and I knew that it was probably just water vapor, but we had actually never tested um, the underlying vapor for toxicity. Um, and, and we ended up doing that and it turns out that we were correct. There was no underlying toxicity to our vapor. Um, it was just pure cannabinoid and terps uh, suspended in water vapor. This is something that, you know, those to do dose well was, was, was very challenging. And we figured that out, we have a global utility patent on that. And, but then to do the other things was extraordinarily expensive. Um, and time consuming. And we were creating first all, I mean, the reality is Dosis is a company of firsts um, in an industry of firsts. Yeah. And it's a, it's a difficult task. Cause like you said, I mean, even from, you know, testing regulation regulations have evolved, you know, slightly, maybe not to the point that some people want to see, but they've evolved from the yeah. start, but even, even, you know, you're talking about 2013 before, you know, before cannabis recreational cannabis is really even there and regulations really even heavy. I definitely remember my first experience with oil and my, you know, my first vaporizer experiences were the, the oil, you know, you put the oil on the pen and that oil yeah. thinking back, you know, to what I see now, the color was absolutely disgusting. And, you know, it was not, it was terrible, but it was this crazy new product that we'd never seen before. And I, I remember talking to some cultivators that, you know, have grown for 10, 20 years and grown indoors. And they said, you know, back in the day, so many people used to spray stuff because we didn't know. And this conversation of of testing, it wasn't really there. You know, some people prioritized organic grown cannabis. I remember hearing that, you know, 15, 16 years ago. And I remember being like, what the fuck does that eat? Like, why would I even care? Like, you're trying to sell me this pack for more because it's organic. Like, nobody gives a fuck, man. Like, you know, but obviously yeah. legalization has helped change that. So what are the ways, obviously, you know, that, that you've combated with not just having these standards you guys have set on yourself, but obviously the industry has shifted in terms of not just regulations on pesticide testing, but what you can use, what you can't. The vape crisis came in, kind of constricted it, and then it seems we're, we've kind of moved past that period. But but what are some of those challenges and obstacles you guys have had to maneuver around just through, you know, cannabis going recreational in California and, and the regulations sure. kind of ever evolving, if you will? I mean, from a regulatory point of view, I think the challenges are are pretty well, you know, known. You know, you have the federal level, you have 280E level. There is, you know, just the number of hoops that a, a, a proper brand or business has to go through. You know, it actually, I think, it encourages you know a lot of nefarious actions um, to be to, to, to be taken. And I think what they've basically done is they've empowered the black market beyond belief. Um, and and those regulations hopefully will get worked out over time when everyone stops looking, you know, at the industry as this giant cash cow, um, you know, and everyone thinks they're going to get made rich, uh, whether it's a, 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 a local government, an entrepreneur or, you know, a farmer, because that's there are very few people that have ever done that in cannabis. And I just don't see that as 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 the reason to get into it. Um, you know, I think what ended up happening is prior to, um, you know, adult use coming into the frame um, in California, it was a medical market. It was actually a safer market at the, at the legal end um, in, a, in a lot of ways, meaning the fully regulated side of, of the industry. Um, unfortunately, after adult use, um, you know, and, and at that point, Dosis was probably 20% of the California market in, in disposable vaporization, right? And probably 
over 50% of premium-based vaporization devices. After that, just a plethora of competition came into the market. And that competition, which was primarily fueled with a lot of investor capital, um, they were more interested than they were interested in, in, in anything else. And there was this sort of race to the bottom phenomenon that happened with the price of everything. And when you have a race to the bottom in terms of price, where the, where the price of a product you know, gets less and less and less every single month, ultimately what ends up happening is that stifles innovation. Um, and, and, and I think consumers in California and in other markets are a little less demanding of innovation and quality um, ultimately uh, than they otherwise would be. And I think as the industry evolves over time, those things will change and the best of the best will you know, continue uh, to, to, to do quite well. But the biggest challenge that we had is that race to the bottom, is that everyone just wanted their, their cannabis and cheaper. And you know the dispensaries, which are really competing against each other and the black market, right? They're, they're, they're more interested in velocity and you know buy one, get one free. And they, they ended up, most of them trained consumers to only buy on discount. Mm -hmm. And so you ended up with a very select group of people, I think at the top end, that were able to command a price premium. You know, I'm, I'm talking about you know, the cannabiotics is of the world, the 710s, you know, people like that, who, who really were, 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 were better than everybody else anyway, right? Like they had more, they had a ton of capability, but they also had a consumer base that was really interested in buying what they had to create because they knew it was, it was the best that it could be. And there are plenty of other brands out there. I'm not, I'm not saying they're the only ones mm -hmm. and I'm not singling them out. I'm just using those guys as, a, as an example of, of, of that type of, of, of brand and business. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's a common, been common speak in this industry since it went wreck. Like you said, the, the, the BOGOs of California, um, the marketing train training, these consumers looking for deals, even if you look at weed maps, I'm not knocking it, love the platform, but the majority yeah. of the people on there are, are, are deal hunting. There's a way to leverage that strategically, but you know, people are constantly looking for cannabis cheaper. And that's, you absolutely hit it on the head when you, you know, dispensaries are not just competing with one another. They're competing with the black market where pricing is going to win, you know, without, without tax or regular regulatory oversight, you know, pricing is going to win on that end of the spectrum every, every single day. And it makes it, um, you know, makes it difficult. Yeah, the reality is cannabis should be more expensive than it is. That's the reality. Right. Um, but it's not. And so there is a dis, what I call a dislocation in the market where the business models really don't work. Um, and it encourages people to take shortcuts that ultimately do not benefit the end user or consumer. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that most consumers don't even know what they're buying. Right. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they can claim that they're you know, experts in, in cannabis. But if you really got down to it and you really ask them questions about what they're consuming, doing to them, um, why they think they paid as much as they paid for it, or what the difference is between this and that, I think most of them would struggle mightily to answer those questions accurately. It's not their fault. It's just a low involvement category, right? Like people don't really think about it too much. Mm -hmm. um, generally. Um, now, the people who, who love cannabis and are cannabis connoisseurs, that's a completely different group of people. They know everything there is to know about it, and they're always learning new things, and they're always eager to learn new things. And being around folks like that is just awesome. But mm -hmm. the majority of the purchasing that happens, particularly in, a, in the state of California, people don't know what they're buying. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
I think, you know, I always compare it to, to, to other industries, right? Like you just look at fast food, right? Like obviously mm -hmm. McDonald's, you know, is not the most quality of beef. Uh, you know, is it a hundred percent beef, real beef? You know, I don't, I don't even know if that's a true thing, but they have no problem keeping a line out the door due, due to, you know, obviously brand awareness, pricing, and just availability. Um, and when you look at that compared to how many people eat at a high end burger spot, right? It's a much smaller, uh, portion of the the consumer demographic for people looking for burgers same thing in cannabis you know people are going to go for yeah. the cheapest the price you know whatever's availability or available to them pricing and and kind of just uh proximity wise and then there's obviously people that care about it but I, you know the brands that have been able to command that like you use the two examples of cbx and 710 those brands that are able to communicate that and command that premium have had you know, no problem with market fluctuations, right? Because they're not chasing well, because what, those. What they do so well is they innovate. They just innovate really, yeah. really well, right? And so there's, there's, in, in what, what, what I, what I see in the cannabis industry, which, you know, I think would be great, is serial innovation happening all the time, right? Like, like really creating new experiences and new ways of thinking about things, and you know, taking risks and. And so this sort of price and potency game is is really sort of lowest common denominator stuff. Like, mm -hmm. great, it's fine. Personally, I think the future of cannabis is sessionable cannabis. I don't think it's highly potent cannabis, personally. But you know, I, I think that that's that's where you know you're going to get you know 150 million you know Americans like participating in a market. Um, it'll always be a place for, for high potency you know um, on product. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's it's very, very difficult to grow if that's the sort of the resting point of the industry, right? Um, and like, take a look at alcohol. I mean, spike seltzers now are, you know, almost as big as US beer, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're, you're getting into a world where something that's sessionable, meaning, you know, I can, I can use it casually whenever I like, and it's not gonna, you know, change or alter me too much. That's where most Americans want to live. Um, and, and I think that's a wonderful future for cannabis. But to get there, we have to innovate. And to innovate, we need to end the sort of the, 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 sort of the red bottom mentality because the problem with a race to the bottom is someone actually might win. And, and that's like, that's an issue uh, for everybody. I didn't say that. Malcolm Gladwell said that. So I don't want to take credit. For it. But, but, it's a, but it's a learning nonetheless. Absolutely. And I want to impact that to more of that sessionable cannabis because as lounges are becoming, uh, you know, starting to come online in California, that conversation has happened. And I was just talking to someone uh, the other day, my friend Maha, and she was talking, I think she was the one talking about how, you know, people don't want to go to a pay to go to a lounge, take a fat dab. And then it's like, what is your, what is your, you know, reasoning to stick around for more than okay i'm here i got super high i'm about to get out of here in 10 minutes and go beyond my day i'm not going to continue you know some people maybe but the majority yeah. of people are not going to sit there and dab and dab and dab and dab and dab for two hours whereas you you mentioned yeah. the seltzer right like a spike seltzer might be at a barbecue and just have one maybe maybe one or two over a couple hours if you're going to go to the beach and spend all day you might have you know, eight yeah, of them I, across a, a multi-hour span, but it gives you that, you know, back to you, your guys' position, that controlled dose of where I can p choose to have a couple and understand where it's going to give me, or if I so choose, can spend my afternoon doing this. And it's not like, you know, down in half of a fifth <laughs> and just sitting there and be like, I'm just going to sit here for the next six hours and not consume anything else, right? So 
I like that you brought that up with that, that sessionable cannabis. Cause I don't think a lot of people outside of the lounge, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that, but I think that's an important component because as we look at cannabis as this, you know, socially consumed thing, right? Like people obviously consume it in, in solo sessions, but it's, you know, historically been consumed in, in sessions, right? Like in community with others and outside of that top per percentage of consumers that can just, you know, chain smoke, joints all day or for hours of a span sure. the average consumer is not interested in doing that but again what is the that experience if you just smoke something and then watch a movie maybe that maybe that is the experience but it's not you know the social side of it is is curved and i think that's an important aspect of, of just talking about sessionable sociability and sessionability if, you, if someone said to me what's the future of cannabis it's sociability and sessionability period that's it and, you know, like if you if you wanted to start a very successful cannabis company and brand do that, it's going to take some time for the market to develop. But since this is digital and will last forever, I'm here to tell everyone it's sociability and sessionability. Like that's where the future of cannabis is going. Um, it has absolutely no choice but to go there because you're talking about the number of people that want to dab. Right. That might be three percent of the population. I think that's probably a little high, mm -hmm. right? And 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 so, but those but those are people that have a built-in endocannabinoid system that functions really well with 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 that amount of THC instantaneously, you know, put into the mm -hmm. put into the body. That's not most people, um, and that's going. That's the, the, the so. The other thing about it is cannabis will become more socially acceptable as it is socialized, right? So we see that in places like California and hopefully places like New York when New York gets its act together. But like it is a, it's, it's, that's what's going, it's a sociability and the scale of industries are direct in consumer industries are directly correlated with each other. Um, and I think with a functional product like cannabis or, you know, THC in particular, um, you know, that those, those things go hand in hand. And, and I, I hope the industry realizes this, there are brands and businesses out there that are catering to that group. But the issue is, is the cannabis heads of the world go, oh, that's weak. That's for mm -hmm. girls. That's for moms. And, and I'm here to tell everyone that's not the right way to think because a, you're judging it just because it's strong as you're used to, or that you can handle, but like people don't win wars because they're, you know, can handle a lot of teach. Like, it's just not, it's not cool or uncool. It just is. Mm -hmm. And this, I think one of the things that's held back the industry so much is like, it's like this, this test of strength of how much you can handle. Well, I know 17 year old girl weigh, you know, 95 pounds that can, that can smoke any 250 pound linebacker under the table. Mm -hmm. It, it's 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 physiological it's not emotional it's not like oh i can handle this i've willed myself to do it <laughs> um so it's and it and, and it does it does nobody any good intoxicated like it's it's what's right for each individual person that's where the gold is that's where it's really cool what's right for me but to judge someone based on how much they can handle that's just it's just juvenile Unfortunately. Right.
Right. And that's not how more people come to the come to this space anyways. Right. If it's someone's first time consuming cannabis and they're around veterans, they're definitely they're not going to be like, go ahead, take the dab. Matter of fact, don't be a bitch. Take three of them. You know, they're probably going to guide just, them. Just, on a, and on look, a we're all step. guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. I'm like, oh, man, just come on, have a little bit more. And like, but that that is it's a it's a stereotype that needs to change because it does nothing for the industry, it does nothing for the people who have fought over the last 10 years to be a part of this industry and have struggled in this industry. It doesn't grow anything, right, really. And, and, and what it does is it isolates as opposed to opens the thing up. And, and that's, that's what I hope for cannabis. I hope it gets opened up and I hope it becomes more sociable or sessionable. And on the thought, on the talk of like, you know, these two different demographics, right? Whether you want to call it the can of curious, the new consumer, the looming new consumer versus the heads, right? The, the hardcore smokers, right? Obviously two the opposite sides of the spectrum in cannabis, being that it is something that is consumed by so many people from so many walks of life for so many reasons at various doses, right? There's people like people in my household that consume every once in a while as opposed to myself who's consuming the same products but on a much higher frequency uh you know it, it is many things for many people but it's difficult for a brand to be everything for everyone do you feel like That's it right. is a good approach to kind of segment not just by products but by brands kind of for heads and for the hardcore consumer versus towards this uh tail end of the spectrum or do you think there is a way to kind of please both crowds with with the same product yeah we'll see because even but i would just i would just I, I love the language that you use hardcore this idea that it's hard it's like hardcore softcore like you know like this sort of language that's crept into our vocabulary about oh well that's it's cooler to be hardcore than not to be just generally in culture day right sure and so like i can handle it so i i think it's I think changing the language, I think, is really interesting. Like, I think there's people who are incredibly passionate, knowledgeable about cannabis and love cannabis. And that's great. Like, it's, it's great. You need people like that to carry the innovation forward at, at, at the higher ends, right? Like at where at, at the, like we're talking about dabs or, you know, you're talking about rosin or, you know, like, you know, like everything that we've done in cold or like, you know, just the, 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 the incredible amount of innovation that's happened on the clever side where you're just combining things and you're, and you're experimenting, like, and you're trying them, like, 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 like people, like amazing chefs, you know, who, who are just constantly trying to push the boundaries mm -hmm. of what is, what is there in the hopes of discovering something new. To me, that's the hard, that's hard, right? Like that, but that's how I think about it. Mm. And, and I think it's really important that we that we start to do that. Like I've been in this industry, I've been in those same conversations so many times. And it's like, but when I talk to, you know, the people who are expert growers or have just come up with like this amazing new way, you know, um, uh, to create a new oil or a, a new process, they're doing it because they're curious. They're doing it because they're passionate. They're doing it because they love it and they're trying their own cooking, so to speak. Um, and I, I think brands and businesses should tell a better story about why they're doing the things that they're doing. Just going, Hey, this is 72% THC and da, 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 da. like how it's made, why we did it, what go into it, right? Where this plant comes from the history of these 
genetics or, or, or the history of this cultivar phenotype and, 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 what it, and, and what it does for people and why people love it is the hardcore segment. But to answer your original question, yeah, I do think that segmentation is really important. I think there's going to be stuff that's going to be more human veterans. Mention people who are battling chronic pain, you know, people who come at it, who want a little bit of help from, you know, just the stress and anxiety of life, which can be really, really tough. You know, people who want to use it as a signal for libido to their partner, like, hey, how about we get, you know, we, we, we try something new tonight. Like, there's all sorts, the, the, the people who are interested in it being a social lubricant, right? Who rather, I mean, I know, I'm sure you know tons of people now that go out, have one drink and pop a gummy. Like mm -hmm. that's their night and they have a great time and it's a different experience than alcohol, but it's still very, very sociable. So I think that the industry, as the aperture opens up and we start thinking about this through the lens of innovation um, and creating new experiences in different ways to think about things and talk about things and invent new vocabulary, that, that is that's where you're going to get, it's going to appeal to different, to different segments of the population. Some will use it every day. Some will use it once a month. Some will use it every six months, you know, and some will change. So they'll, they'll fluctuate in between. I love that. I think it's impossible for one brand to do it all. I just don't yeah. think that that's, that's, that's where the industry is today. I think it'll look more like, I think it'll look more like alcohol. There'll be craft, you know, and local and artisanal. And there will be big national and there will be people that do vodka really well or people that do tequila really well, but don't touch, you know, the, the, the other categories. Mm -hmm. It's going to it's likely to evolve mirroring, you know, those those types of things. Yeah, it is. It is difficult. That's what you know, I, I constantly see in this space. It is difficult to be everything for everyone. Um, it's but a lot of people are trying to do that. What what is for the rest of, of 22 and beyond, you know, whether it's innovation or just what Dosis has up its sleeve, man, what, what do you guys got on the docket? Well, we just inter, inter, introduced a whole bevy of new products. Um, those products right now are, you know, um, you know, they've, they've been in the market now for, uh, I'd say, about about a year, a little less than a year. Um, it's always about really understanding what consumers you know, how our consumers are, are, are responding to those things. We introduced a new black battery that has a six second draw, a three second microburst and a six second draw. So it can go double the dose. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been playing around with, with, with different, with different formulations. Um, I think we're going to continue to see that. I'd love to see in the future, a beverage from doses. Um, I think that beverage is highly likely to be the, the, single largest, um, you know, growth sector at some point in the industry um, and ultimately could be the, the, the largest period um, volume driver of the industry. Um, the supply chain and the value chain isn't, isn't ready for that. Neither is the regular quite yet, but, but, but I could absolutely see that happen. Um, we're about to announce a really exciting new venture with one of the leading hotel groups in the world, um, you know, to, to, to do some things there. And, you know, I think there's going to be, um, if you, you know, put me to task. I think there's going to be a, a set of new partnerships that are really exciting for Dosis and the Dosis customer. Um, and it, you know, is, is, is like in all things, I just feel like, um, you know, Dosis isn't the finished article and, you know, we don't think we have a corner on all things in cannabis, but, you know, we're, we're, we're a part of it. And when we like to, to, to play, you know, the role of, of innovation, particularly as it relates to health and wellness and, and give people some, you know, some alternatives, but, 
one thing that I would always say about it is we're going to try really hard and we are never going to cut a corner and we just try uh, to do things the right way all the time. Um, and that's not taken away from anyone else in the industry. I think everyone who's here is and hats off to them. Um, I know how hard it is. Um, I know how fun it is. Um, and I know that there's a lot to do uh, in the next next two or three years. So with that, you know, I, I look forward to some 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 ease of the regulatory regime at the federal level. It's long overdue. Mm -hmm. uh, the Democrats continue to promise it, but continue to underdeliver. And I hope at some point they're going to get their act together and understand that the majority of the American population favors an opening up of the regulatory environment. And, uh, if they listen and if they act, I think it could be really positive for the industry. I, I love that, man. Lot, lots of stuff on the way. Um, really appreciate you taking the time I'm out to, to hop on here and, and chat with us today, Jason. This is the North America Weed Tour podcast. We're looking at the best in legal cannabis across the map. Jay Land of Dosis. People looking for more information, dosis.com. Anything else you want to plug real quick before we hop up out of here? Nothing to man. Just wish everyone the best. Awesome. Well, I will plug respectmarregion.com. More content coming from the North America Weed Tour. We'll be back with another. I think we got another episode today, so we'll see you guys a little bit later.